focus if you want to win this game. And one of the boys that comes, and he's told me many times, like, I come because I like Carly. So he's there because he likes this girl, and that's why he's there, nothing else. Not even really for the food or for the games. He's there for this girl. So, which, cool, whatever, keep coming. Um, so he's in the lead, and he messed up, and he jumped up, and he dropped an F-bomb, like right there. And I tried not to react. I'm like, not a big deal, you know. And a couple of the kids reacted, and they're like, oh, you just swore, you know. And, and we, I was like, all right, next round, let's go, you know, and get the game going. And so... That um, later on, after I got them all calmed down, I got to speak for a little bit, and then we um, we did our little sermon. The kids asked questions and stuff. I dismissed them, and then he comes up to me, and he's like, hey, man, I just want to tell you I'm really sorry. I've been trying really hard not to swear like that at church. And I was like, dude, don't worry about it. You know, I, I said, to be honest, um, this is just a building. Yeah, Jesus is everywhere. I believe that we're the church. So don't worry about it. If you want to change everything and stop swearing completely, I'm, I'm behind you. But don't do it just because of here. And he was like, all right. And then he goes, you know, I was talking to a friend the other day and I was telling or a couple a month ago. And I said, this whole Jesus stuff is not for me. I'm done with, you know, I, I it's not for me. I don't I don't want anything to do with it. And he goes, but lately, like, I'm, I think I'm really getting getting to like this. Like the Jesus thing, I'm going to keep coming, you know? And so we'll see. So, But that's my Jesus story. That's like answered prayers. Like it was just amazing to hear him say, you know, I'm kind of I'm I'm liking this Jesus thing now. So keep praying for the youth, you guys. It's, it's, it's truly working, truly working. Thank you, Clint. I appreciated that story. And I brought it up this morning because... I know a lot of you have been praying for our youth group. And I want us to do that this morning. I want us to take those kids. What are there, 8 to 12 of those kids? Um, I want us to think about those students and pray that God would make a difference in their life. Let's take them and lift them up right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord God, that you are drawing students to this church. You have a plan, and it's good. And I ask, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will speak to their hearts and their lives. You will draw them, like you're drawing this young man, to Jesus. May they sense that that message is real. May they know, God, that you have a plan for their lives. And may they want salvation through Jesus Christ. Draw them, Lord God, I pray, in the name of Jesus. That youth group is yours. We commit it to you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, it is so nice that you guys are all here this morning. I appreciate that. I'm Pastor Gary. If you don't know me, uh, make sure you come up and uh, talk to me in a minute because uh, we're going to let these guys go and have a little bit of time to get to know one another and say hi this morning. So with that being said, everybody knows what to do. Find somebody that you've not met before. If there's somebody here you don't know, make sure you introduce yourself to them this morning. Good that you're here. God bless you. Father draws people to Jesus. The most logical human response to suffering is to run to Jesus. Whether you're developing your faith, faith enough to believe that he is in control of the situation, or if you're still immature enough 
um, demanding answers that we can't understand, or if you're someplace in between. Really doesn't matter. We will all be drawn back to Jesus through suffering. Even worldly people call out to Jesus in their greatest struggles. One of the things that frustrates me is when you hear people swear. When trouble hits, when something happens, they say something that, ah, Clint talked about that a minute ago. And a lot of times what they say is, Jesus, if they only knew what they were saying, if they only understood the power in that name when they come to a a situation that's difficult, when they're in the middle of a struggle and they call out the name Jesus, he could be their source of help if they would let him. Or they say the name God. I cringe at that. If they only understood what they were saying. It's given me a little bit of a different thought pattern recently when I was thinking about this. Next time I hear somebody say that, I kind of want to look them in the eye and say, do you really understand what that means? Jesus really does want to help you. You're in a situation where you need him. You called the right name. Let him help you. September 11th, 2001. 19 militants. They were Islamic from the Islamic, uh, Islamic extremist group, Al-Qaeda, hijacked four airplanes and carried out suicide attacks against the United States of America. And you guys know this story. Two planes were flown into the Twin Towers in New York City. A third plane hit the Pentagon just outside Washington, D.C. The fourth plane crashed in a field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. In all, 2,996 people were killed during the 9-11 terrorist attacks. After those attacks, immediately following, there was an increased number of church attendees. It sent people to church. I want to read you this quote. This guy, I don't think was a Christian, but this is what he said, and he's right on. Right after 9-11, in America, churches were flooded. People wanted to become part of a Christian or other represented group, said Dr. Rick Talbot, Religious Studies Department Chair at California State University, Northridge. Within a matter of months, that went away, with a decrease in membership and conversions. When suffering is out of sight and out of mind, so is our need for God. That's sad. God wants a relationship with us all the time, not just when stuff is going bad. And yet that's our tendency. Oh, when things get bad, that's when we're going to get right with God. That's when we're going to talk to him. That's when we're going to spend time with him. Come on, people. We need to spend time with him when things are going good. He is the author. He is the one who wants things to go good for us. Thank him for those. Many Americans are instilled with the I can do it myself mentality. I don't know about you. I, that it's in school. It's, it's just the way Americans think. I can do it myself. I, yeah. I don't need help from anyone. Not from you. Not from me. 
and especially not from God. That's what people think. That's what people say. To many of them, relying on God is a sign of weakness. They choose to reject the Apostle Paul's perspective from 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and trouble that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The, ideality, the, the idea that we can do it ourselves it's just misleading. It takes us out of the presence of God. If we would just acknowledge our weaknesses, where we struggle, the things that we have trouble with, and say, God, I can't do this on my own, he just wants to pour into you. His Holy Spirit wants to put effort into your life and help you with what's going on. God is on your side. And so much of the world wants to think, you know, he's on the other side. Other Americans act as though they're entitled to receive all kinds of help for free. They live off their parents' generosity, or they live in homeless camps. They're willing to accept handouts or welfare. They crave the easy life. And rather than... Uh, they would rather smoke pot and take drugs than hear about God. They also are whom Paul writes about. Romans 10, 16 and 17. But not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. And so many of them just don't want to listen. They don't want to hear that. In every case, God just wants to draw people to his son, Jesus. He wants to make an individual connection with everyone. He wants to rescue them from eternal life in hell. He is willing to allow suffering if it will bring humanity into a personal relationship with Jesus. We talk about eternal life in heaven because it's pleasant, it's easy, it's nice to think about. But the opposite is also true. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, the Bible says you're going to spend eternity in hell. I don't say that to scare anybody. It's just what the Bible teaches. We need to share with people, yes, there is an eternity in heaven, but there's also an eternity in hell. God's primary tools to reach the lost are you and I. I'll say that again because it should hit you pretty hard. God's primary tools 
to reach the lost are you and I. Unbelievers, they're not going to think like us. They're not going to value the same things as us. But you and I may provide the only opportunity for them to observe God at work. We need to share our Jesus story with them. I've been talking about that for weeks. I cannot stress it enough. Our Jesus story, what Jesus means to us, the things that he's done in our lives, the changes that he's made in how we live, we need to share that with the world. They are dying to know that. Second, God uses suffering to bring believers to maturity. Even Jesus, Hebrews 5.8 says this, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. I struggle with that concept because Jesus, we think of, he's a supernatural, all-powerful, all-knowing, he did it all person, right? But this verse says that he learned obedience through suffering. God uses suffering to build character in us. An image used in the New Testament is the discipline of children. Hebrews 12, 10 and 11 says this, For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us. Oh, I struggle with that. God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Smith Wigglesworth. He was a straight-talking Yorkshire lad with a little education and no training and no credentials. But he shook the earth with his miracle-producing faith. For 40 years... He did spectacular healings and deliverances. They followed his preaching of the gospel in many nations of the world. I shouldn't say it was his miracles. They were God's miracles through him. Yeah. He said this, Great faith is the product of great fights. Yeah? Great testimonies are the outcome of great tests. None of us want the fights and the tests. No, that's not what we live for. Great triumphs can only come after great trials. The good stuff comes as a result of the hard stuff. We've all heard the slogan, no pain, no gain. Yeah. And it's usually... Um, attached to physical exercise. That's usually how we associate it. But it's also true of disciplining children. It doesn't have to be physical pain, uh, but it does have to provide a measure of discomfort if a change in behavior is going to be the result. That's discipline. That's how it works. I spent 25 years in ministry as a children's pastor and a youth pastor. And I've seen the gamut of behavior among kids. 
an overwhelming majority of the time, negative behavior is a lack of consistent discipline. Not necessarily the lack of discipline, the lack of consistent discipline. And if you ever feel like God consistently disciplines you, <laughs> God wants to teach us things. And when we don't get to the first time, it'll come around the second time, then the third time, and the fourth time. God wants to teach us with consistent discipline. As our children were growing up, uh, we learned that sending Heidi to her room was not discomforting to her. She would lay on her bed and read her books and have just for hours and just enjoy being there. Sending her to her room was not good discipline. Um, it had no effect on Isaac if we would ban him from using the phone because he didn't care. He never used the phone. However, it was terrifying to our daughter, Elisa, to ban her from the phone because she thought she was going to die if she couldn't contact her friends. So Roxanne came to the conclusion, if she had to monitor the kids' discipline, she might as well get something out of it. So when our kids got in trouble, she assigned them extra chores. Her work. And to them, that was painful. You know what I'm saying, don't you, moms? Yeah. No matter how old we are, no discipline seems pleasant at the time it's happening. That just doesn't. It is painful. No pain, no gain. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. We would be tempted to say to God, oh, I'm quite happy as I am. Please, leave me alone. You know, when, when, when the trials come, wouldn't we just say that? When the discipline comes? C.S. Lewis points out that um, that would be to want God to love us less. God loves us so much that he disciplines us. And if we asked him to leave us alone, it's like telling God, oh, don't love us so much. Let God develop your mind, your mannerisms, and your morals to be Christ-like. Ignoring biblical principles is the same as telling God, no, you didn't put up with that from your kids. Should God put that up with that from us? To ignore his big, biblical principles is like telling him no. Refusing to allow God to change you only prolongs the discipline. If you want to get through this discipline and move on to something else, move on to something that's less sufferable, learn from the discipline. Accept it. And then move on. Submitting to God's process cultivates humility. Submit to God. Be humble. Number three, 
God uses suffering to bring about his good purposes. God runs the world even when it sins, even when we suffer. God is in control. He's running this place. He permits people to do what he would never do. Did you hear that? God permits people like you and I to do what he would never even think to do. He is determined to steer what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God allows us to sin. He lets it happen. Then he uses those sinful situations to achieve the desired results in our lives. And in the end, we benefit by maturing in our life with Jesus. It's a win-win proposition. God gets mature, loving followers, and we become more like the one who rescued us from sin, Jesus. Joseph. He was the 11th of Jacob's 12 sons. He was favored by his father, which irritated his older brothers to no end. They couldn't stand it. There was this huge rift that developed between them. So his brothers thought they would get even, and they sold Joseph into slavery. And eventually, Joseph was sold to Potiphar and became his household servant. It was no fault of Joseph's. But he ended up suffering as a slave. Genesis 39.2. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar quickly realized he, Joseph was extraordinary. So he put Joseph in charge of everything he had, all of his household. Well, Potiphar's wife, she lusted after Joseph. And for days, she pleaded with him to sleep with her, and he refused. He held God's standard. And one day, out of desperation, she grabbed a hold of his coat, and she was going to have her way with him. Joseph slipped out of his coat, and he ran from the scene, and she hollered rape. And Joseph was falsely accused and thrown in prison to suffer. Now, in prison, Joseph gathered favor with the warden. And as a result, the warden put Joseph in charge of the prison. Genesis 39, 23, the warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. So here's Joseph in prison. And eventually, Joseph meets two of Pharaoh's personal attendants. Each of them had a dream, which Joseph interpreted. One of the men was reinstated to his position with Pharaoh. The other one was executed. Now, Joseph asked the man who lived, always remember me that I'm here in this prison. But as soon as that man was reinstated to his position, he totally forgot about Joseph. Totally. Two years later, two years, the Bible says, two years later, Pharaoh had two disturbing dreams, and he needed them interpreted. Only then did that employee remember, oh, Joseph, he can interpret dreams. Let me tell you about him. And the Pharaoh had him brought out of prison. 
Joseph acknowledged that God was his, his source of the interpretation. He said that right up front, boldly. Then he sought God's wisdom, and he interpreted those dreams. Now, Pharaoh was really impressed. He thought, whoa, I've got something here. This guy can tell me what these mean. Genesis 41, 39 through 41. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Well, those dreams, the interpretation, it talked about seven years of bountiful harvest. And that's what happened. They had seven years of bounty. And then came seven years of famine. And it began. Jacob's family, Joseph's dad and the rest of his brothers, they're all the original ancestry of the 12 tribes of Israel. They were literally back in the home country starving to death. At last, Jacob sent the remaining sons to buy food in Egypt. He had, they had no idea that they were buying grain from their long-lost brother Joseph, who they sold into slavery. They had no idea where he was, even if he was alive or not. Genesis 45, 4 and 5 says this, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. God used Joseph's suffering as a slave and a prisoner to save God's people from extinction. It's much like God used the suffering of his son Jesus to save humanity from eternal death. Worship team, will you come? Like Joseph, the blessings of God in and through our suffering far outweigh the suffering itself. But the New Testament never leads us to assume that this will always be the way it is. Rather, Every Christian is promised something even greater. Hope of heaven. Romans 8, 12, or excuse me, 8, 18, and 2 Corinthians 4, 17. God more than compensates for our suffering. And I'll say that again. God more than compensates for our suffering. Reverend Gavin Reed tells a story about a boy in his congregation who shattered his back when he was one year old when he fell backwards down a flight of stairs. He had been in and out of the hospital for years. When Gavin interviewed him in church, the boy remarked that God is fair. Ooh, Gavin stopped him right there and said, whoa, wait a minute. How old are you? 
And the boy replied, 17. And how many years have you spent in the hospital? The boy replied, 13 years. He was asked, do you think that's fair? I love this reply. He replied, God's got all of eternity to make it up to me. God's got all of eternity to make up the suffering you and I feel. God has all of eternity to make the difference for what we feel here. God will offset suffering, the suffering we experience on earth with the pleasures of heaven. And he'll have all eternity to do it. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4 say this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among us, among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. That's how God makes up for the suffering we experience here. What a promise. makes me think, can I endure? Oh, yeah. Can I put up with the difficulties? Oh, yeah. Some of you, it might be harder for you to say, because yours are different than mine. Yours are maybe heavier than mine. Yours are maybe bigger than mine. I get that. But God's reward in heaven is far greater than all of that. To live for God here and endure what this world offers is nothing compared to heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, that you have made a plan. It is so good. And we so don't deserve it so much of the time. First of all, God, I just tell you, I, I am sorry for the stuff I do wrong. We are all sorry when we sin. God, we do not want to disappoint you. And yet we do all the time. I ask you, Lord God, change me. Change us to be more like your son, Jesus. Help us not to sin. Lord God, I am looking forward to eternal life in heaven. Thank you for such an amazing outcome for us. Well, you guys have your eyes closed, your heads bowed. I'm just going to ask a simple question. If you are not sure about your relationship with Jesus and you want to change that, to know that you can 
go to heaven and experience eternal life. If that's your desire this morning and you just want to make sure, just raise your hand really quick. I'm the only one who's going to look. God is paying attention. He wants to draw you to Him. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have spoken to our hearts. I ask that you will make your message real to us and that we will serve you better because we've understood that our suffering is for our good. Thank you, Lord. I commit these people into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand, please? Worship team is going to lead us in one last song before we leave. Will you lead us? Let faith arise In spite of what I see, Lord, I believe Help my unbelief, I choose to trust you No matter what I feel, let faith arise Let faith arise for my champion's not dead, he is alive. And he already knows my every need. Surely he will come and rescue me. God of miracles come, we need your Nothing's impossible. You're the God of miracles. Let faith rise. You see the kingdom come. I lift my eyes For the battle has been won My God is faithful And every single word He said is true God of miracles come We need your supernatural is shaking but you cannot be shaken my heart is breaking but I'm not broken yet your love is fearless help me to be courageous there is nothing impossible this world is shaking but you cannot be 
supernatural love that you break through. Nothing's impossible for the God of miracles. The God of miracles, come. We need your supernatural love to break through. Nothing's impossible. You're the You're sent out on the mission. The suffering you may experience is not the end of the world. Allow God to use it to speak to others through you, to mold you into the likeness of Jesus, and to accomplish his purposes in your life. God means for all that to be good for you. Let God do what God wants to do in you. I can't say that enough. Let God do what God wants to do in you. He has an amazing plan for you, and it's good. It's really good. It is. Heavenly Father, touch your people as they're dismissed this morning. God, you go with us all the time. Help us to recognize your presence. In the name of Jesus, I ask. Amen. You are dismissed. This world is shaking. You cannot be shaken. My heart is breaking. But I'm not broken yet. Your love is fearless. Help me. God of me.